Carved in Blue. Blog, videos, webinars and podcasts. Hello and welcome to Bluecast, a podcast series created by Carved in Blue. Carved in Blue is the online vehicle of the Lensing Denim Team, a team dedicated to developing the market for Tencel Lyocell, a responsibly made textile fibre originating from wood cellulose farmed from certified forests. In each episode of Bluecast, we will be talking to a person of interest, someone who may be known to many of you, or someone who is at the periphery of the industry. But in all cases, someone who has an interesting story to tell the denim community at large. Welcome to Bluecast, the Carved in Blue podcast channel. My name is Trisha Carey, and I'm Director of Global Business Development for Denim at Lensing. We transform trees into tensile lyocell and modal fibers, which are used by leading denim mills and brands around the world. To learn more about Tencel Denim, visit our Carved in Blue blog or follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, or our YouTube channel, Blue Lens. Waste not, want not, making sense of the textile circular economy. A recent report suggested that human global activity is currently only 9% circular with no sign of improving on that figure. Indeed, material use and carbon emissions continue on an upward trend. In terms of sustainability and circularity, the global engine of change appears to be stuck in reverse. We are still heading in the wrong direction. In the 4.5 billion year history of the Earth, humankind arrived late to a planet already functioning in a fully circular manner. The infinite cycles of the natural ecosystem producing no such thing as waste. Waste is essentially a human construct. In the last 200 years, the transformation of seemingly abundant natural resources into financial capital has brought us to the anthropogenic era of where burning of fossil fuels is now measurably and visibly causing climate breakdown. In the simplest terms, it is the most important issue of our times. How we systematically reverse the tide of wastefulness and reduce carbon emissions must be at the forefront of our collective thinking as individuals, organizations, and institutions. So what about our own industry? By all standards, the last year and a half has played out to be like a bad dream for the fashion and apparel industry. The COVID-19 crisis has triggered unprecedented supply chain disruptions and drastic drops in consumer demand for fashion products. Brands and shops we well know and love may soon cease to exist. Manufacturers in the supply chain have been caught in the eye of this storm. Yet this unfortunate pause has also given us the opportunity to reflect on the vulnerability of the current system and the role we must play for the fashion and apparel industry to truly reset and embark on a more sustainable and circular transformation. The pandemic has made clear the discretionary nature of most fashion purchases and exposed, once again, the precariousness of livelihoods dependent on the fashion industry's existing model. A true socially and environmentally sustainable future for fashion has to go beyond models that rely on producing cheaper, faster, better products without consideration for the real needs of all of us. The circular economy concept proposes to offer a framework to enhance economic and environmental resilience. 
designing out waste and pollution, keeping materials in use, and regenerating natural systems, thus resulting in an environmentally beneficial by reducing our dependence on virgin resources and imports, boosting local repair, remanufacturing, and upcycling economies should better equip us to address climate change and external shocks like COVID-19. Good work in this area, especially in the supply chain, has been taking place, however, mostly in silos. So who in our industry is going to make sense of the reduce, reuse, resale, repair, recycle, recover mantra? Who is going to coax companies and individuals out of their silos? Should we call on one of the many 25-year-old sustainability specialists that pop up on LinkedIn? Only kidding. On a more serious note, maybe we can call on a textile industry veteran who has more than 30 years of global experience from fiber to finished garments who can bring their experience, their contact list, and helicopter view to make sense of a highly complex situation that faces our industry. Having founded Accelerating Circularity in 2019 and Fabricology International in 2003, Carla Magruder is as qualified as anyone to tackle this enormous task. So joining us today from New York City is Carla Magruder, who's CEO of Accelerating Circularity. Thank you, Carla, for chatting with us today on Bluecast. Trisha, it's great to be here, and thank you very much for allowing me and inviting me to participate. I think it's going to be fun. Thanks. Yeah, we've known each other for, I think, over 15 years. I can't even remember how we first met or who introduced us, but definitely our, our paths collided, and we've been on the same course ever since. Um, but it was about three years ago that you moved from New York City to Milan, and I thought you were moving to Italy to retire or at least slow down a little bit. And instead, it seems like uh, everything's just picked up more. You started a nonprofit organization. How did all this happen? What was really the spark behind it? Well, the truth is, as part of the slowdown was the idea that I would have the option to take a look around and do something that I felt was more important and something that wasn't just going to be a paycheck. Um, And then as people started to talk about circularity, it seemed like it was just going to be another one of these items that was sort of hijacked as the concept du jour. And it was a great opportunity for greenwashing. So I wanted to gather people who are really interested in actually taking action, people like you and companies like Lensing, and then it snowballed, right? It just, it's uh, anybody who's gotten involved in circularity recognizes that it's a systems perspective. And so it's a incredibly difficult, deep, complicated endeavor. Um, you know, if we thought linear supply chains were complicated, think about a circular supply chain in the sense of something that's three-dimensional. You know, we use the term circular, but it's really a ball. You know, it's, it's, it's 3D. It's not just a straight line. So uh, it snowballed and here we are. And I'm really excited about the work that's being done. So uh, there's a lot of progress, a lot of work to be done. Yeah. So moving to Milan was not about having Prosecco and uh, enjoying all of the, the tourist sites. And, and I love that you take on this challenge when many people would turn away 
And you worked on the recycle polyester commitments for textile exchange. You've you've been involved in textile exchanges as, as I have also. And you were a board member for several years. You currently still are on the board. Was this part of the inspiration that you saw that needed to develop for accelerating circularity? Was this where you started to see how the ball needed to come together? Um, Well, in part, uh, when I was, you know, I started the Recycled Polyester Working Group because, you know, at Textile Exchange, they were very focused on cotton. And when they started talking about preferred fibers, I recognized that the industry didn't have the information um, to make the required change to use more recycled product or even to get involved with circular systems. So that was certainly a part of what made the idea behind accelerating circularity sort of come into terms. You know, when it comes to recycled polyester, it was really interesting to learn that the brands would tell you oh, you can't do this, you can't get good whites, or you can't, um, uh, it was whites that were a problem, it was hitting the same colors, um, or the quality wouldn't be right. And it's not that the quality or the colors weren't possible, but it was that the brands were basing it on the price that they needed, right? At the price that they wanted, They couldn't get the white or they might not be able to get the quality. But if they were really committed to getting recycled polyester, you could certainly get those things. And there were ways to do it that allowed for um, that allowed for getting it at a price that worked within a um, regular, you know, industry uh, collection. You know, the brand's requiring something to be cost neutral, we have to start looking at what does cost neutral really mean? Cost neutral just to dollars and cents and pennies to what we're doing today with virgin materials or cost neutral when we're looking at the true triple bottom line, a real balance between people, planet and profits. Today, we conduct business and we talk about the triple bottom line, but our scale isn't balanced equally. I like to think of it as a scale and all three things need to be on the same balance. And that's how mine works. My mind works. And people are saying, no, you got to think of it as a three-legged stool because most people don't think of a balance as having three sort of chunks. Um, But I think of it in terms of a balance and we have to balance people, planet and profits. It can't be just profits with a nod to those other things. And so when we look at circularity, and we talk about the changes that need to happen, especially after COVID. Um, I think we've all learned that it's essential that we are able to look at not only price. We're not going to survive that way. It's so true. And it, we're at a point where we're redefining value. And we've talked about this many times, Carla. You know, it's it's not just about the first sale anymore. It's really looking at how you can keep that garment in circulation or, you know, break down the components. Um, and, and I know for you, you're working on accelerating circularity. We have many amazing meetings where you put a lot of different people in the same call um, and asking us questions of what do you need? What have you got? How does this, how can this all connect? Um, You have been traveling around Europe and seeing things from a different perspective too. What differences do you see in Europe around textile recycling than what we have here in the United States? There's two really big 
big differences between the U.S. and Europe, and that is government policy, and then secondly, consumer awareness. So when it comes to government policy, I think most people by now are aware that by 2025, all textiles must be collected separately. Um, that's a pretty big ruling. The European Parliament's heavily engaged in moving all industries, but textiles is a target industry, to circularity. So they are investing in innovation. They're investing in research. They're investing in ways that will help the industry move to circularity. And then when it comes to consumer awareness, the citizens in the EU are much more aware of the need to recycle. So an example in Milan is that we today already have to separate paper, glass, plastic, aluminum, food waste. And I can look out the window of my apartment, as almost anybody in Milan can, and if you look down to the street, you know, it's a very urban environment, you can see these big yellow bins on the street corner that collects textiles. And it's a normal part of life, and it has been for an incredibly long time. And that's Milan. Um, I spoke with someone in... I think, believe it was Belgium one time, they're already sorting to 14 different fractions, consumers. So um, wow. it's a really different uh, uh, consciousness that they have versus what happens in the United States. Yeah. I mean, I think most people don't know even where to go to recycle any textiles. We've just gotten that throwaway society. And you talk about the policy, how different it is in Europe. And many ways I see that we go in circles around the issues. Is it technology? Is it policy? Is it commitment? Is it investment? Is it scaling? How do you look at all of these? You know, we, we take baby steps. Sometimes we go a little bit forward and we go sometimes backwards. Where do you rank all of these priorities in what we need to go forward? You know, I think I drive people nuts sometimes when we start talking about things like this. And this is really the crux of what Accelerating Circularity is doing that I believe is different from what other organizations are doing. So you just mentioned five different issues. Accelerating Circularity works in a way we have a steering committee where we have people from basically every step of what would be a circular system, right, that sets the strategy, that guides the work that we're doing. And then we have a spent textile working group that combines recyclers, collectors, sorters. And then we have a brands and retailer working group that includes brands and retailers and even collectors and sorters because those two also need to meet up. So we're mixing different people. And so when you talk about all the issues that need to be um, looked at and what the prioritization should be, I say we have to prioritize them all. If you're a technology developer, your first priority is to develop technology. If you're someone in government or policy, your first priority should be developing policy or, or, you know, lobbying for policy. So, you know, certainly there's enough of us that each of us needs to be working very um, in a very focused way on how we can move the industry towards circularity. And it's our responsibility to also work together and truly work together. I, you know, we use the word collaboration and it sometimes drives me nuts 
because people say, yes, we're really big on collaboration. And then you ask them to participate in something. Well, you know, I don't know. I'm worried about my IP. You know, I don't want to share this. If we're going to move things forward, we're going to have to share certain information, right? I'm sure there's always going to be proprietary information. But there's a lot of information that we can share. There are, there are people today that won't share what their specifications are on what they need from a recycler. Well, if you can't share those specifications and you're only going to share it with one recycler at a time, you're, we're not going to get the scale that we need to create the business case. You know, there are so many examples of those kinds of things. You know, I think Lensing is a great example. They didn't wait for policy to be in place. They didn't wait, you know, for um, somebody else to come in and invest in technology. They went ahead and they did this. So now we need to have more support from the brands to engage. You know, if the brands are making these big commitments, they're going to have to engage to really make this happen. Collaboration really means action. It doesn't mean sitting on the um, sidelines and watching what other people are doing. No, it's a great point, Carla. And it is becoming an overused word um, for lensing. I mean, we started in 2017 with a commercial product. Um, I think in maybe in some ways we might have been a little early, uh, but it's what we felt was important. And then and the technology was there that we could bring it to the market, find partners. Um, but it, it's definitely a challenge. And you're absolutely right. It's, it's all of these areas have to come together and how we can all impact um, in our own way. And, and we've seen that our textile and apparel industry needs to right the wrongs. I think the pandemic kind of brought a lot of these challenges to the surface. Um, but what industries do you think do, are doing it right? Where do you go for inspiration? What can be a model that we can use within the textile and apparel industry? You know, I don't think you can look at another industry in its entirety. Just like you can't look at the textile industry in its entirety, there are people that are being really progressive and doing great things. Um, and the same is true in other industries. You know, I remember years and years ago, there was um, a gentleman from that was a CEO of Interface um, Carpets, and he was really progressive and he was doing really great things. At that time, they had actually created their own equipment to collect carpets back remove the backing from the carpets, shred the carpets, send that shredded material to fiber producers and require that the fiber producers, any new um, fiber that they showed interface had to contain a certain percent of the re recycled material. That's progressive. And that I can't even remember how many years ago that was. That was when I was, uh, it had to have been easily 10 years ago. And and the other area where I feel like I get inspiration isn't necessarily from our industry, but it's from reading a wide variety of things. I mean, even, um, you know, I read some things like, you know, books that the Dalai Lama has written about. And interestingly enough, both he, the Pope, um, have written about um, the environment and how it's our responsibility to take care of it. And one of the things that they both have that I find really interesting is they talk about the interconnectedness of everything. And when we want to think about circularity, it really is about the interconnectedness of everything. We so often want to 
just think about our part of things. So we're not thinking about what happens to the end at end of life when we make a garment. You know, in the past, a designer, if they were designing, they wouldn't have to think about, well, what happens when we're done with that garment? It's a very different design project now when you have to start to think what happens to that garment at the end of its life. Um, I think one of the things that is very interesting about a circular supply chain, we talk a lot about things like traceability and transparency. And for most of us, that means we have to learn where the fiber comes from to getting to the finished garment. When you think about that, when you're talking about circularity, you've got a whole other half of the circle that you're now going to learn about the traceability and transparency of that process. So we're going to, again, looking, we're going to be looking at things from a 3D perspective or three-dimensional, you know, 360-degree perspective versus right now we've been looking at 180 and that's been enough for us on traceability. Traceability is a whole new important aspect of circularity really is and uh, and it is taking us out of the silos the interconnectedness you're you're so right on all of that um you started accelerating circularity focusing on the east coast of the united states in 2019 with brand partners including target vf gap nike and Walmart Foundation was doing a lot of the the supporting as as well as these other companies. You started the European chapter just this year. Um, Where do you see this going? What's your vision in five years around textile to textile recycling? Um, my vision in the next five years, and actually, I, I always like to use shorter time frames, which drives everybody nuts because, you know, they want to make things take a long time. Um, but, you know, three to five years, let's say. But I would say that collecting and sorting and pre-processing works at scale. And it works from a global perspective, because if that works, it's going to shake loose a lot of other things. You know, a lot of people, the textile industry is so often interested in the shiny penny. So the idea of what's coming out of the recycler and that new fiber is what really lights the fire of most textile people. The truth is that we need these feedstocks so that these other segments of the supply chain work. Certainly they have to work, but they are, as we were just saying, interconnected to the other part. So we've got to get all these parts that aren't Um, connected anymore. They need to start to be connected. And so when that happens, you're going to see um, the scaling that we need for circularity. Definitely. Yeah. The scaling is a big part of it. So your 35-year career has been focused on fiber and textiles. What do you see as your legacy? Really, um, that I hope that I have been able to help people learn. I mean, you know, you're doing a great job with so many things and helping people to understand the industry. And I think that that's a critical part. And as you get older, that's your job, right? If you can help people learn, um, that's a fantastic thing. And then the other thing was, will be hopefully to having played a part in developing circular textile systems that really encompass the environmental, social, and economic impacts. When we first started this project, I talked about the fact that we really needed to have a um, this balanced vision. And so I didn't know how we were going to get there, but 
but I knew that it was critical to our well-being. And that was before COVID. COVID just amps up that requirement in my mind. Yeah, really, it does. It does for sure. So we're, we're moving into our final segment here, Carla, and it's our, our fast five rapid fire here. Um, so a little more insight on you and, and some of your thoughts. Your favorite gene. My favorite gene, rather than a brand, is just the classic. A high-waisted product, very little stretch, um, you know, a really classic fit, you know, not a straight leg, not a bell-bottom, you know, classic, straight leg, denim. Love it. Perfect. Classic. What part of New York City do you miss the most now that you've moved to Milan? Diversity to everything, people, food, fashion, art. Um, Italy's wonderful but it's Italian. It's becoming more diverse, but no place I don't think on the planet is as diverse as New York. Ditto. Definitely agree on that. Who is your environmental hero? Kate Raworth. She talks about the planetary boundaries and she's actually doing really good work to and helping people learn, right? She's, uh, She's got an organization now called Deal, where they're actually helping people to figure out and, and encouraging little pods of people um, to understand what the planetary boundaries are and what you can do to make progress. So I really salute her. Great. And what is the best advice you would give to your 25-year-old self? Explore things as much as humanly possible. Be honest while you're doing it and don't let fear hold you back. That's great. And finally, what does carved in blue mean to you? I think carved in blue is a great example of just what we need to be doing. It's about education. It's about true collaborations. And it's about bringing the denim industry together. I don't think there's anything um, that's more needed for the industry than something like Carved and Blue. You guys are doing a great job. I'm really um, pleased and honored to get to be a little part of this. So thank you for inviting me. Thank you, Carla. And, and thanks for giving us your, some time while you're visiting uh, New York City. I truly value our friendship, your determination to make a difference in our textile and apparel industry. And you're definitely leaving a legacy of education, connecting with people and making our industry much better. So thank you for that. Thank you to our listeners. If you enjoyed this conversation, please check out our episodes, subscribe to Bluecast, like and follow us. To discover more of our stories, you can follow our blog, carvedinblue.com, or feel free to reach out to us directly at denim at lensing.com. Thank you very much. Thanks, Tricia. Thanks for listening. For more information, head to carvedinblue.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at Carved in Blue and the Blue Lens YouTube channel.